0: Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier Podcast. As always, it's your boy, Mac. Joining me today is my co-host for the night, Mr. Corey Walsh of Fear the Sword. How you doing, Corey? Doing
1: great, Mac. Thanks again for having me back on. This should be fun. Hey, man.
0: I had so much fun talking Cavs basketball with you last time I had to bring you back. <laughs> Dude, so much has happened since we last recorded. I mean, Ricky Rubio tours ACL a slew of guys missed time due to covid protocols i mean hell i even got covid <laughs> me and my family it's just that uh the new variant's going around oh it's spraying like wildfire <laughs> it is it's it's a scary thing not only for basketball but for uh everything else you know in life um uh, a couple of 10-day guys got signed well uh 10-day hardship contract players have been signed including Justin Anderson, who actually played against the Cavs tonight. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, Malik <laughs> Newman and Brandon Goodwin, who suited up for the Cavs tonight as well. And with that being said, Brandon Goodwin tonight, six points, five assists. Kevin Pangos, five points, four assists. The, the minute distribution was pretty good. I think it was, I think Pangos had 27. I want to say uh, that Goodwin had 26. And they both really contributed in their own ways. But just the general eye test suggests that Brandon Goodwin has a, a better feel for basketball than, than Pangos does. I want to say Goodwin is 26, Pangos is 28. And just virtually based upon what I've seen in the very few minutes, well, I don't want to say a few minutes, but the few appearances, just two appearances that we've seen Brandon Goodwin, he has played very, very well. We obviously know that with the acquisition of Rashawn Rondo and Darius Garland eventually returning, that Goodwin is going to be relegated to either being released by the Cavs due to the 10 day window or being or taking over for Kevin Pangos. So I guess my question for you, my friend, would be just purely based upon what you have seen thus far, would you be okay if the Cavs replaced Kevin Pangos with Brandon Goodwin for the rest of the season. In terms of
1: on the court, definitely. Because I was kind of worried when Pangos was going to get launched into starting minutes. Because we only have seen him sparingly over time. Especially, like, just in closing minutes of, like, a blowout win or loss. And I never was really, like, jaw dropped by anything I saw or, like, felt comfort thinking if one of the two guards then being Rubio and Garland were out that I'd feel safe with him like kind of driving the offense. And I haven't seen anything over the past few weeks that really has uh, settled my worries. And then Goodwin comes in and he just like athletically stands out way more than Pangos, who is just too small and can get easily blown by guards that aren't necessarily more athletic than him, but
0: they just like, it seems right. like it just He's has the to the size power. man. Like, like Pangos, he against guys who are his size, Pangos is an okay defender. I I don't take that away from him, but being that undersized at the guard position these days, really anybody can take advantage of you. It doesn't matter how much or how good of a defender you are. You can get taken advantage of if you don't have a little bit of size out there or if you don't play above your size. And Goodwin, I believe he's only six foot he appears to play a little bit above his size so that that definitely helps so does the athleticism and i know again it's only been two games a two game sample size i believe that we've gotten to see him but that to me is it, it's already shown me you know everything i've needed to see out of these two just just purely from a basketball standpoint an on court standpoint not leadership nothing like that uh, we know that again pangos is a bit older than goodwin uh, this is good ones 13 by the way i want to say he played for uh denver he's played for atlanta and now he has you know been in a short stint with cleveland and you know i'm hoping he stays honestly and like i said i, I know that barring if he is resigned or you know something is has something happens in that regard kevin pingus is released or they clear another another spot for him somewhere we know that you know those guys are not going to see the court in any significant action once rondo clears and uh and garland is out of protocols but it is still good to have guard depth just especially since you know rubio tore his acl which has just been that was so brutal man uh, just tell me a little bit of how you felt once you heard that news first off the uh the disappointment of
1: realizing the triple double was not going to happen was very disappointing
0: oh, definitely the immediate reaction.
1: <laughs> I was like, well, this kind of stinks. And then like you could like just see immediately on his face that he just knew it was a drastic injury. So that was not like he never look at that and be like, oh, definitely a sprain <laughs> or like definitely just a like contusion or something. I was then thinking, oh god, Garland isn't even coming back for a while. So even if Rubio like best case scenario is out for 2 to 3 weeks, that still doesn't leave us with a lot of offensive control over the next few weeks and then obviously the next day we found out he went down and I think like all Cavs fans it was like doomsday it was just like pandemonium everyone was like what is happening Rubio is like the focal point of this entire offense when Garland's not on the floor and without Garland even on the floor as an option you just kind of wondered what was going to be the like the straw that stirs the drink here. And that's kind of the struggle we've been seeing over the
0: past two games or three since he's been out. Yeah, I mean, his impact on and off the court can't be questioned at this point. I mean, the offense just flew. It just, it flowed. There's just no better way to describe it. It, it, it was constantly in motion when he was out there. And Rubio does not move like it. He, he's not lightning quick. But he moves a lot quicker than he looks. It's it's so weird. The shot making, even it just Rubio puts up some of the ugliest shots you'll see and they'll <laughs> still go in. It's crazy. The jumper is hideous. It, it is, like it kind of really
1: moves in hitches.
0: Yeah. It, I mean the one-legged jumper. This dude, he's making shots that don't look like they have any chance at going in. It's don't get me wrong, it's beautiful to watch. It's just so unorthodox. It's it's very awkward.
1: Yeah, you f- I find that players in the NBA who have a high IQ necessarily like are just not don't seem to be athletic and move the, at the game like at the fast pace. They kind of like to take their plays at their own pace. Like even though LeBron is like one of the best athletes in the entire NBA, still like when he wants to play his style of game, the game just moves so slowly for him. Like he, oh, just, he just wants to manipulate
0: like the chessboard. Exactly, and. Uh- that's that's a gift and a curse with guys like that, too, because especially in the case of LeBron, LeBron, if he wants to slow the offense to a hole, he will. And, you know, he can still dissect you by doing that's one of the, LeBron's greatest strengths. But a lot of people complained about that, too. you know, the ball movement, iso ball stuff, things of that nature. Uh, And then you get to a guard like Rubio, who who knows just where to find people, just what just knows where to hit people and stride and whatnot. You saw his connection early on uh, with the bigs and Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. You saw the the, just the chemistry that he just rekindled with Kevin Love just been beautiful. And for me, man, I think Ricky, Ricky Rubio had probably one of the biggest reasons why Kevin Love is playing the way he is. Um, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion, I know that sounds a little overstated, you know, Kevin Love he's, he's bought in, he, he's finally healthy. He's in the right role for him at this point. But I think Ricky Rubio really had a lot to do with that from a mental standpoint, I think.
1: Yeah, no, know I totally agree with you because I felt like Kevin Love's biggest issue besides health over the past few seasons has been mostly that, like, he hasn't been with players that know his spots and where he likes to operate. Like, Kevin Love seemed like the only way he could generate offense by, like, this past few seasons was if he did it by himself. Like, yes, Garland obviously helps move the ball around, but I mean, no one knows Kevin Love like what Ricky Rubio did at that time. And, like, it's not like Kevin Love's shooting has changed that drastically. I mean, Kevin Love back when he was with Rubio was more of an inside player, but players know their spots and like you only, the offense only clicks when you know what your players likes and dislikes are. And you saw that like right away between Rubio and Love in the minutes they shared from the first moment the season started.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the chemistry was just like, just like that just came right back to them. It, it looked uncanny out there. And I think, Again, the loss of Rubio really is going to show down the line here. Um, I'm hoping that the Rondo signing can kind of help buoy things a little bit with that second unit, but man, having Ricky Rubio is like, I don't even really consider him a backup point guard. He, he's like a, he he basically was the Cavs second starting point guard, um, mm-hmm. You can't really consider that guy a backup. He's he's a super sub, I guess. I mean, if you want to put it that way. But even with Colin in town, uh, they 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 clearly liked what they had in Ricky from early on, uh, with him given a lot of minutes in the closing stretches of games.
1: Yeah, that was a contentious point on Cavs Twitter, pretty much for the first two weeks. It was like, why is Sexton not playing in these closing minutes? Why is Rubio playing? And obviously, the Sexton fans out there not saying I'm not one. Cause I, I like living, oh. <laughs> but
0: <laughs> we both are. Don't worry.
1: But uh, yeah, like Sexton, we all know that people will say that he doesn't keep like, he doesn't pass as willingly as others because he's a score first guard. And Ricky definitely was more of someone to dish out assists than score. And when Garland and Ricky are both out, the ball can fly around the court because it, like, it feels like an unselfish nature to the game that the Cavs offense hasn't had in past seasons. And you have to think that was Rubio's impact to the game. Like, obviously, Garland throughout last season was more of a assist-heavy guard than he was being an aggressive scorer. But having Ricky on the floor also alleviated some of Garland's worry to be that facilitator and allowed him to also grow into the scoring role we've
0: seen this year. Yeah, it's been beautiful to <clears throat> see the development of that guy on the court. and I think... Last season was just so weird from that standpoint. We talk about the, the aggressiveness that Garland now showcases on a nightly basis. That just wasn't there last season. I don't know if that was primarily, like you said, um, that he was focused on facilitating. But, you know, the, the backup point guard situation played a lot into that with Colin last year trying to do a little bit too much uh, from a scoring standpoint. Uh, with the second unit, you saw it at times, especially down the stretch of last season when DG was out. Mm. Um, but this season, man, I, I really had high hopes for Colin. Uh, and with that being said, man, you know, we're, we've gotten into very, very tricky territory with both Ricky and Colin. And that is the Cavs appear to be ahead of schedule. You know, at this point in time, I want to say they sit at 21 and 16 on the season after tonight's victory and in the fifth seed currently. So obviously, you know, we're just a little under halfway through the season. So we don't know what truly could lie ahead for the remaining stretch of the year, but for all intents and purposes, this team looks like it's ready to contend for a playoff spot, uh, not just the playing game, but the playoffs. So again, they're in very tricky territory with both Ricky and Colin. So we'll go to Ricky first. Do the Cavs now, with him being out for the remainder of the season and not under contract for next year, do they have to entertain trade offers for him? Do you think that makes sense?
1: Um it depends, I think, on the culture that you kind of want to build within the team because I mean there's been rumors for the past like month or so that really got like, started getting kicked up again two months, two weeks ago that Ben Simmons was like the Cavs were the top of the list. Get me started on that. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I saw a report that said that the Cavs players were not interested in trading for Ben Simmons. This was also pre Ricky Rubio injury. And they were saying that they wanted to keep the guys that they had in house because they don't want to mess up a good thing, which obviously makes a ton of sense. And I feel like, in a weird way, even though Ricky isn't on the floor, by trading Ricky away, it kind of feels like you're trading away like a heart of the team. I know everyone likes to focus on like the three uh, pillars that we have with Mobley, Allen, and Garland, but you can't really say that Ricky and uh, Kevin also are not like pillars to this team with their veteran leadership. And if you just trade Ricky away for like a rental or as a part of a package, you're not only trading away the possibility of bringing him back next year but you're also going to leave that locker room very hollow in terms of what you're, I don't know what you would better in leadership.
0: Yeah. I mean, to me, that's, that's kind of how it is. On the one hand, I can understand making a push for a guy that you might consider extending a la Cam Reddish, somebody like that. Uh, But even still, that's a hefty price to pay when Rubio has just showcased such a, a tremendous impact on this roster. Um, the veteran leadership that he provides has been unquestioned at this point. And let's not forget, the guy is only 31. And his, it's not like his game is predicated off of athleticism. So we know coming back from this ACL surgery uh, and recovery and whatnot, he's not going to – this is not a situation in which a guy is going to lose like two two or three steps because of a surgery like that. His game is, it's, is and it should age well. It's it's something that not many guards these days have the luxury of. So for him, you can go one of two ways here, in my opinion. Sure, you can make a deal that brings in an impact player uh, for this season, whether that be like a Karis Levert, somebody like that. You guys, you know, the listeners, and Corey, you probably know too, you know how I feel about Ben Simmons. I, I like Ben Simmons as a basketball player. I just don't think he fits what this Cavs team currently does, and I don't think the personnel, the roster that they have, is really tailor made to fit what Ben Ben Simmons is all about. Yeah, I feel the same way. I just, find that like
1: I feel like people like a Ben Simmons would make sense on this Cavs team if we didn't have Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Because
0: I think if, I completely- even if you had, even if you had evan and you had a i think the real problem is jared and that's let me clarify my uh my stance on i just it's not as if jared allen is a bum he just doesn't space the floor so uh and that's the, the main component that you need from a center when you're thinking about ben simmons you need a center who can you need a stretch five basically
1: yeah exactly and then people talk about Ben Simmons like he could be in this Draymond Green type role if he like when he moves on to his next team. And in order for him to do that, someone between Mobley or Allen would have to get bumped out of a spot to accommodate a Ben Simmons. And I just feel like with the way the team works right now, especially so heavily predicated on pick and roll, I don't see Ben Simmons being the type that's willingly going to set picks for
0: you 24-7. No, and that end, he, he's going to want the ball in his hands, which means you're going to have to take the ball out. Of Darius Garland's hands and we have seen How much DG has been Flourishing with pretty much the Full control of the offense the keys to the offense
1: Yeah and then people Complain on Cavs Twitter about Isaac Okoro's offensive game I hate to Break it to people but like if they think If they complain about Okoro they're going to complain about Ben Simmons offensive game a lot more it's a lot More shy than uh, Isaac Okoro still willing to take three to five Three spaces a little bit more Exactly at least the defense like thinks There's a chance he's going to shoot it
0: you you know with Ben Simmons you have absolutely no fear that he's going to pull up from three point range. We know we know Isaac Okoro kinda of is what he is right now from that standpoint, and he has prior to this recent stretch of games, uh, prior to his exiting due to the COVID protocols, he was starting to show a little bit of a semblance of an outside game, but with him, it just it's all about confidence. We know that Ben Simmons is a tremendous defender and we know that he could add from in that regard, but it just getting back to the original point, it just wouldn't make any sense to bring in a guy like that. Uh, assuming that the Cavs didn't want to retool their roster around him. So, like I said, getting back to the main point, if you're going to deal Ricky Rubio, it's not going to be for a guy like Ben Simmons. It's it's going to be for uh, a wing or possibly uh, a younger guard, somebody, that could contribute now. Uh, and that's why a lot of people still are thinking Karis Levert, uh, a name like that, or Terrence Ross. You you just, there's not a lot of options out there. And that's why the team went and opted to trade Denzel Valentine for the likes of Rajon Rondo. And on the other token of this, even more difficult decision is what to do with Colin Sexton. Me, uh, I would like to think that the listeners know how I feel at this point in time. And my stance has never truly wavered about his future with this team. However, it has changed about whether or not he has to start. And we talked a lot about that on the last episode that we recorded. And my, my standpoint on that remains the same. However, I got to say with the Rubio injury, <laughs> with the tread deadline approaching, I am starting to feel a little bit uh stressed out about whether or not you know both of those guys are going to remain cavaliers past that point does it make sense to consider trading colin sexton
1: in a weird way i feel like it makes more sense to trade colin sexton than it does to trade ricky rubio which i feel like is a very polarizing statement (laughs) but at the same time I just am looking in terms of what would fit more with this team in following months and seasons, and I feel like we're, you can constantly make an argument that when so like if you if you sign Ricky Rubio back this off season you're probably signing him to like a two or three year deal, not too heavily yeah. like incentivized it's going to be a, a, a fairly cheap deal in the retrospect, something tradable, and you know what you're going to get. And Colin Sexton is still a young player. He's a project. You're not going to be able to sign him to that type of deal regardless of the injury, which I think he'll totally bounce back from
0: and be fine. But you don't think he, you don't think the one year deal is still on the table for him if the Cavs are unwilling to like budge on like a, I don't know. A lot of people have a lot of differing viewpoints on what his contractual value is. I know that they don't obviously want to give him like a hundred plus million dollars, but to on a contract year with an injury happening like this, you don't think his camp considers like a one year it type of deal.
1: I would honestly hope so. Cause I feel like that's the best thing for both sides. Cause I think if they're going to still negotiate, they want like a four year deal or something from yeah. whoever decides to sign them. They're going to get a lot less money than they were setting out for. It would make sense for both sides for Colin Sexton to do a one year deal. But I also just feel like knowing Colin, And like knowing how aggressive his camp is to get him the money that they're going to still be like, we want a four year $80 million contract for this young player. Cause you can't argue that other players that have been worse than Colin over his tenure have gotten way more money than you would think they deserve. Jaron
0: Jackson got a hundred plus million dollars and I know he's not a guard, but still, I mean, I don't know. I, I get it. I really do. And I kind of feel the same way. Like for him, if he wants to kind of bet on himself to get a a larger contract, even if it's not with Cleveland, I think it does make sense for him to sign like a one year deal. I mean, you remember what happened to Dennis Schroeder? <laughs> that guy yeah. that was a tough one. That on a lot of money. You don't want Colin to kind of face the same thing. I think what helps the Cavs a bit is the lack of cap space this upcoming uh, free agency period but still um going back to the original question um i just i'm not sure if i'm if i'm ready to see the guy go just because i think obviously you can make an argument that the offense has been just fine without him but i think his game would flourish come playoffs i think he is tailor made that his type of game is well suited for a playoff setting and i think that's when you were you would probably see his absence play its greatest uh you know make its greatest point and being felt it just it just truly sucks having basically two starting caliber guards go down in in colin and ricky the Cavs have just dealt with adversity all season it's just it's ridiculous man it's like soap opera stuff
1: no it's like here's a good thing and then we're just gonna throw in five bad things to drown that out but yeah. Don't worry, just keep your smile because <laughs> it might turn I mean, out okay in the end.
0: Yeah, I mean I'm I'm trying to stay positive about it. And, and there are, believe it or not, there are some positives that have come out of this. I mean, you've you get to the opportunity to evaluate some of these end-to-bench pieces, a la, Kevin Pangos. Um, you've gotten to bring in the likes of a Brandon Goodwin, see what he's all about. And ultimately, I think the biggest one is getting to see what Isaac Koro could potentially look like with the ball in his hands a little bit more.
1: Yeah, we saw a little taste of that uh, on, in the Atlanta game. He had five assists, I believe, and he looked like a much more uh, facilitating-minded guard, kind of like what they were trying to make him do in Summer League.
0: Yeah, where I Where they like were that.
1: giving him a lot of ball-in-his-hand situation, seeing where it would go, except now he gets to play with NBA-caliber players and not with the Summer League of Evan Mobley and Lamar Stevens and then a bunch of maybe-they'll-make-it guys.
0: Oh, yeah. I think for him... Um... It all changed when Ricky came to town. I think the plan was originally, "Hey, let's just bring this guy off the bench. Let's make him one of the primary ball handlers. Let him facilitate a little bit more." And then Ricky came to town and changed all that with his play. So yeah. you're you're not, not going to give Ricky the ball when he's on your when he's in your second unit. So that that quickly that notion changed very very quickly. But I think this the injuries allows. Isaac Okoro to go out there and further his development as a passer. And yeah, I, the the returns are going to continue to be questionable, especially on the offensive side of things from, you know, what he provides from that standpoint, but he still provides a lot in regards to perimeter uh, defense. And he's going to continue to grow Um, by no means. Would I consider him a cornerstone for this Cavaliers franchise just yet, but man, it helps to have wings and Isaac Okoro Definitely has a semblance of like a two-way, a, a three and D type of guy. He, he could definitely get there. It's just going to take some time and some seasoning. And Corey, to me, man, like the, the biggest thing about this season that I think a lot of people are forgetting now that the Cavs are starting to win is that this was never a season about contending. It was really a season that had a lot to do with development i think
1: yeah no i i totally agree um i that's why when people talk about these trades that the Cavs should make or shouldn't make i'm like why are we rushing the plan that we didn't even know we were going to have to be in the situation in the first place like we should just be taking the good house money come and not risk down the road for now
0: completely you, the calves are playing with cow, uh house money this year and i i kind of made this uh you know, the comparison earlier, the similar to the Eagles, you know, nobody. And for, for those of you who don't know out there, I am a Philadelphia Eagles fan, not a Browns fan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, People came into the season with, with both teams thinking, Hey, these, these guys are not going to have a shot to do anything, let alone, you know, finish in, in a contending position for the playoffs. Yet here, both of them are Philly won today and has a very good shot. To get into the postseason, and the Cavaliers have been even better. And prior to all these injuries, we're looking like a lock to make the play uh, playoffs. So, yes, I know that you need to kind of evaluate things fluidly, and I've spoken about that throughout this whole season. But still, we don't need to get hasty here. We don't need to push in all the trade chips. We don't need to make any big time deals. And it's part of the reason why I love Kobe Alvin. Man, he's like stand uh you know standing pad and remaining true to his vision and kind of just seeing this whole thing play out and i think a lot of times with these gms who you don't get to see stay in places for a long period of time it's because they don't get enough time to execute their vision and their plans
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's I'm a very like, impatiently it's like what have you done for me lately versus what have you done in the past that's and- exactly what it is Like I feel like no team further exemplifies that than the New York Knicks. I mean, last season is what we're experiencing now with this Cavs season. It's like, whoa, this where did this team come from? This is awesome. We can build so much off of this. And then now this season, they're starting to slow down a little bit, which is natural. I feel like with the Tom Thibodeau style off like teams in the league, like he first season in Minnesota, he really gripped that team and turned them into a playoff contender. And then Jimmy Butler was like, "I've kind of had enough of this, and he wants to leave." And then the team goes downhill. We're seeing this again with the Knicks this year, and it's like now they're panicking, and it's because they kind of changed the they're like they changed their whole dynamic of their team because they're like, "Well, we were so good last year, we pretty much will just keep two or three really good players and just roll with that." And that's all my fear with this Cavs team is if we touch it too much, it's going to drastically change the outcome of seasons down the road. Now, obviously, we have more young talent than the Knicks do, but. It's, I'm just using it as an example.
0: Oh no, it's it's a fair example. I get it. And, uh, definitely, you know, you could probably lump Atlanta in there too. Um, mm-hmm. And from at least from a development standpoint, and nobody really truly expecting them to do too much these past two seasons. And look at them; they made the, the Eastern Conference Finals uh, last season. So for them, and for the Cavs, for for organizations that are starting to come up out of a rebuild uh, a rebuilding mode and it's it's just been beautiful to see. I I am truly glad and grateful that JB Bickerstaff has been rewarded. That's another thing that happened since yeah, the last time we That summer. was a nice rewarded. Christmas Day surprise, dude. It's 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 just been awesome. I think things come in time. You know, good things come in time, as they say. You ha- you have to wait things out. You have to let guys develop. These this is a very young roster. People are still forgetting that the Cavs, I'm going to say the Cavs have the youngest starting five in the NBA. Uh, I could be incorrect, but you have to give guys time to kind of, you know, to, to grow into the roles, to develop, have to play things out. And like I said, this, this was never a season about contending. This is truly a season of development. So any, anything extra is just gravy, man. It's just, it's all, it's all house money. And so I'm not going to be surprised if this Cavs team gets bounced in the first or second round. But I will still consider it a, you know, a, a very, very big success. I don't know about you, but nobody expected them to, to, to look like this. And I've always been real high on their potential for the season, but I'd be lying to you if I thought they'd be this far ahead.
1: Yeah, no, the, uh, a thing that I think is also very valuable that I think, like, it's fun to just launch the trade machine and throw these, like, awesome players into deals to come to Cleveland, but, like, unless you're the Miami Heat, which, like, the culture... Everyone talks about heat culture, but that team usually stays the same way mentally, regardless of the players that come in and out. And I think culture in general is a very fragile thing, especially when you're a young team. It's not like this Cavs team has been the same culture over the past like like 10 years or something. We've had changed coaches more times than you can count, and the players keep going in and out. Like There's very few players that are staying even entirety of seasons. And if we're just throwing players in and out of the system constantly – it's going to mess up what we have going. So like you, you really have to be selective if you're Colby Albin now, not just for a good value, but also a good fit for the players. Like just as people, because these are people, it could take one thing, like one, like a Rajon Rondo, let's say is just an ass. Like that could backfire. (laughs) He has has a
0: a crazy personality. Uh, You know, he's done some things in the past with, with teams from a chemistry standpoint. Let's hope he doesn't bring that to, that mentality over with the younger roster that we have
1: yeah that's like the only thing i did not like about the rondo fit was when uh like initially you're like oh the facilitator role makes a lot of sense like the ball movement should stay kind of the same with rubio maybe with uh, rondo maybe it's like a step and a half less but it should it's going to cover more ground than any of the replacements we could really find the only concern i had was will he gel with this locker room well
0: Yeah, I think that's that's the primary concern with a guy like Rondo at age thirty five. Is does he truly want to be a part of something like this for the remainder of the season? Even Um, you know, I'm I'm sure that he didn't envision being traded to Cleveland of all teams to begin the season. But these things happen every single year, and you just you have to kind of hope for the best. And I think Kobe, I, I, I. Truly, just laud him for all the deals that he been, that he's been able to put together over the past few seasons. Um, this one in particular, because although I liked the the grit and the grind that Denzel Valentine has showcased when he was out there, I think we've kind of all seen what Denzel can bring to the table at this point. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to um, use anybody as a trade chip, it was probably going to be him. Yeah. So, it's it's know.
1: sad for Denzel, but you know, at the same time, as much as I loved him just with reckless abandonment throwing out threes <laughs> with a minute left in the game, I, I was not that was a sour taste
0: for him to leave. I had on, a little so. Dion in him. Uh <laughs> little Dion waiters. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they didn't sacrifice anything significant to acquire Rondo. And it's kind of one of those you're kind of chucking dart at the board kind of thing, hoping that something sticks. And um, we we, like you said, I don't think that he's going to be able to quite, you know, replicate what Rubio meant to them in regards from a playmaking standpoint. And if you want to lump offense in there from a statistical standpoint, if you're just strictly looking at the box score shooting numbers for Ricky Rubio, you would think he was having an atrocious season. Mm-hmm. But I mean, a lot of those shot attempts, he kind of was forced into taking. Somebody had to take him. It's a lot of the same things that Colin Sexton was dealing with uh, to begin the season. Somebody has to take the shots and Rubio, unfortunately was that guy and the benefactor and the gavs kind of gave him the green light oftentimes, but he still provided you more spacing that Rondo was going to be able to.
1: Yeah. That was the tricky part about Rubio's injuries. Like you can scour the market and think of what players can possibly fit this role for him. And You look, and Rubio actually just, uh, like, people are like, when you think of Ricky Rubio, think of primary facilitating, but his scoring was also so important, too, like you said, and Rondo only covers half of that. He's just the passer, and Mm -hmm. there was no guard that was going to really meld both worlds together that's just available.
0: Absolutely nobody without having to sacrifice significant assets. To acquire, and so it just just didn't make sense to to do anything big time. Um Then that's that's why the situations with Rubio and Sexton's contracts just come into play, and mm-hmm. hoping that nothing comes to fruition in that regard prior to the trade deadline. Because I just I really want this team to run it back. That's that's essentially how I feel. That's how I feel too. <laughs> bring Rubio back. Bring Colin back, even if it's on a one year deal to see you know, if he's, if he's okay. And if he can earn that big time deal. Cause I think regardless of what you think is play on the court, the guy is a hard worker and you, you want him to get paid. You, you don't want him to get paid like super a uh, super high amount that would restrain the Cavs from being able to make future decisions in regards to other guys, but you certainly wouldn't get paid. Right. Yeah. I mean,
1: that, the thing about Sexton too, is I feel like, I think he'll, he like if you're thinking about him in terms of value i feel like he provides more value just like in a restricted free agent trade like a sign and trade type deal more than he would in the deadline oh, yeah. because he's not going to help anyone now
0: exactly i mean he's he's out for the rest of the season and that is probably essentially if they're going to make a move involving him that's probably what's going to happen but with a lot of teams not having the requisite cap space this offseason, that, that, again, that plays a factor, too. And I just – I don't know, man. Uh, I, I got a funny feeling that he's going to come back on that one-year deal, but I got my fingers crossed. Um, I want to pivot here and talk a little bit about Kevin Love. Like, this dude has been <laughs> phenomenal this season. And I know you, again, uh, you know, if you didn't get a chance to watch him tonight, he dropped 20 points. Eight rebounds, dished out four assists on three of six from the uh, three-point range. And, you know, he was even better the game before, 35 and 11. It's just the guy is putting up starters, stats in a reserve role that was he's truly meant for at this point in time. My question for you, my friend, is does he have a legitimate shot at catching Tyler Harrow for the Sixth Man of the Year award? I would hope so, (laughs) but at the same time, I just
1: know, I feel like this league loves to prop up its young players. So like Tyler Hero on paper, it's like, man, what a great story. First year.
0: Yeah, he's having a good season
1: too. Second year, kind of a slouch. Third year, comes back full speed. Everyone loves the Miami Heat. They're going to throw accolades left and right. Kevin Love. No, it's it's like it's a cute story for Kevin. You know, he's in his mid thirties. He's now just
0: uh cute story. story.
1: <laughs> the, the narrative will just be like, "What a great story for Kevin!" Throws temper tantrums last season. Now he's just being an all star again. And <laughs> I just I, I hate to think that he won't get it. And I just feel like there's there's no way unless he just keeps going on this like nuclear tear that it's gonna happen
0: dude i mean it's certainly looking like you could possibly do that i mean oh i
1: totally hope so i don't want to sound like a pessimist or anything i love what kevin love's been doing i said last time you had me on how much i love this Kevin love resurgence
0: yeah i know you're a kevin love uh purist (laughs) (laughs) uh i'll I'll say this i I can see the headlines now from crybaby to golden boy in cleveland and I, i couldn't be happier with him man i mean we again like we we talked about this a lot on the last episode, but again, he's never gonna live up to his contract, but this is damn good for his age and what you've got out in him out of him from the past few seasons like this this is a complete one eighty for him. It's just been yeah, awesome I mean, to see.
1: It's like people will point, love just to point at that contract and say he's not meeting expectations. But do you think Lakers fans are looking at Rajon or uh, Russell Westbrook's contract and being like, man, oh that's, that's paying itself? Or Houston not even playing John Wall. There's a lot worse things you could be doing with that money than paying Kevin Love to score a consistent 20 points a game right now.
0: Yeah. I, dude, if the Lakers got to do that, they would absolutely not have Russell Westbrook on their squad. It's just. It's it's been insane the the level of just detriment that he has been to the Lakers organization. But um, in regards to Kevin Love, yeah, I mean, you look at the contract; it's it's always going to be an eyesore. But I mean, I, you and I, you know, we're kind of we're looking past that. We we know it is what it is. We know that teams are going to probably balk at the idea of trading for that at this point. Although you can make a case that he, if he continues this type of play. Uh, Through the trade deadline, they might receive an offer or two. And I hope, God forbid, that they actually pull the trigger on something like that. But you can also make a case that you would get the number and the, the, uh, the contract off the books. I mean, it's pros and cons, pros and cons, right?
1: Yeah, because like you, know, with the size of that contract, it's like, what are you bringing in that's going to match that value? At this point, I can't imagine you're getting a valuable player in return for Kevin Love. It's going to be like, oh, we'll finally take him off your hands for salary dump. Yeah, It's like, oh, thanks. I love another Torian Prince contract. You think? <laughs>
0: That'd be great. I mean, you, you, you think that the roundabout? Lakers wouldn't want to? Wouldn't want to trade for Kevin Love? <laughs>
1: No, I was just thinking, I'm like, what if the Lakers uh, decided that instead of trading for Russell Westbrook, they sent us that KCP, Trez, and Kuzma deal? Like, that would have been a win-win for both sides at this point. You would have got oh, your yeah. Davis back up, and LeBron and Kevin Love can subtweet each other on Twitter.
0: Oh, yeah, and, you, and for Cleveland, you know, you got uh, Trez, who was having a pretty good season. KCP, who would be a perfect fit for what the Cavs are trying to do right now. And Kyle, who is still, uh, still growing in his own right and having a pretty good season.
1: We would have that, like, we'd be the fashion epicenter with Kyle Kuzma. Oh, That's yeah. a win-win.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that guy, I'm not even going to get started on <laughs> some of his closing decisions. But he's he's a pretty good player.
1: No, I think um, Kuzma's, like, very easily criticized. But he's a very important player to a championship team. Because when you look at that oh, Lakers yeah. team in the bubble, he was uh, he was an important part. You just didn't see it necessarily from scoring. Like, he's an Isaac Okoro type in a way. One of the glue like guys. Yeah. is what stands
0: out. Yeah, you, you you always need guys like that to to go on a championship run. That's why Alex Caruso was so important for the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys like that, you always need. And the Cavs, you know, make no mistake, they do have guys like that on the roster right now, but none that you can really point to and be like, oh, that guy is skilled enough to come in and, and give you exactly what, what you want when you need it outside of Kevin Love and Dean Wade at times. <laughs> <It's weird. laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, maybe a guy like that and uh, – Lamar Stevens was had a pretty good game tonight and he's just so sporadic from an offensive standpoint. I mean, I love any, any contribution that he makes and on that end of the floor is just gravy uh, considering the contract that he's on right now, but until he's like able to consistently hit a mid range jumper or three in you know, consecutive games, you just, you outside of necessity, you're not going to feature him like in your rotation. Uh, no, I think sometime. it's smart
1: the way they use him it now. It's kind of like the way I wish they used Jetty last year, where Jetty was like, talk about feast or famine offensively. That was Jetty last season. And this season, it kind of feels like Lamar is in that sense because he'll come out with the same level of aggressiveness like Jetty last year, where he'll just, if he'll, he's open, he's green lighting it every time. And if he makes it, you know that's that type of game for him. He never seems to have an it in-between. It's either he'll score, like, 16 points or he'll score two on one for 15 shooting. And you're like, Lamar, what are you doing? And it, so you just kind of know you need to reel in his like reel him in at times. And that's what I love that J.B. is doing with uh, Lamar this season.
0: Oh, yeah. He was definitely aggressive tonight, and it, it definitely helped the Cavs. You uh, know, very aggressive on the defensive end, too. And get a steal tonight. But you're not going to feature him on a nightly basis when the team is healthy and at its full strength. It's just got to continue to add things to your game. And for him, I think that three, the three point shot or at least uh, a decent mid range jumper, you know, that you can hit with consistency would definitely go a long way for him because he's already a pretty good defender.
1: Mm hmm. I like how we sporadically use him to defend, like, Paul George or Lamar in minutes. It's like he's a perfect complement for when we, like, love to stick a coro on someone. And then we're like, wait, you shouldn't do this to this kid for 40 straight minutes. All right, Lamar, just get <laughs> in there for, like, 10 of them.
0: Oh, yeah. I, when I Coming into this season, the words that I use to describe Lamar a lot were situational defender. Mm. Um, I think that I like really, that. for him, is a probably... A good description of what he can provide um, on any given night. You just you just throw him out there. He's like a a pit bull. Go out there and try and shut people down. Yeah, I I think of
1: him like junkyard dog mentality. Oh yeah, yeah.
0: You you got to have guys like that on your team. Uh, Man, it's just it's just been beautiful all around in regards to contributors uh, contributors for this team, and so. Man, before we get out of here, I just want to ask you this one question because he no matter, no matter the opponent, no matter which situation he finds himself in, Evan Moley always seems to come up when you need him. And so my question for you is, has he locked up the rookie of the year yet? Is it too early to say that? I would really hope
1: so. I feel like there's gonna be this NBA hipster tornado. That awakens, and it's going to be like, how is Josh Giddy not considered for this award? He just got a triple double and a double double with no points, and I just can see like NBA <laughs> Twitter like just falling in love with that when the true answer is right in front of them. And then I don't think that he's obviously I going to win the award, but Evan Mobley is just a freak of nature. We should just count our blessings every day that the
0: the Rockets wanted Jalen Green. <laughs> oh yeah, traditionally the Rookie of the Year has been like the given to the guy who can score the most points.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Usually that's how it goes. We know exactly how impactful Evan Mobley is, especially on the defensive end. He's just really scratching the surface on offense, especially as a spacer. But I just, I do not see a more impactful rookie across the NBA landscape at this point in time. I really think he deserves it probably too early to say he's locked it up. But at this point in time, I, I I truly do not see any other rookie out there that's been ju- as just as impactful as he has been.
1: No, he definitely has been super impactful. I think it's easy though to like look at the stat sheet at some times and be like, how is he, he scored like 12 points. How is that super
0: impactful? Not like, a rookie of the year. Yeah.
1: I mean you just don't show <laughs> like your impact on the court by looking at stats. Like his he just affects so much of what this Cavs offense does offensively and defensively. That's just intangible.
0: Yeah. I mean, he, his verticality, the way he goes up and challenges just about every shot that comes his way. It's just unheard of for a rookie, a guy, his age, it just, it's ridiculous. And that's why you get all these crazy comparisons out there to guys like KG and Tim Duncan. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Maybe maybe we're just uh, biased Cavs fans. I don't know. No. What? <laughs> yeah, I I have no doubt in my mind that the the top five guys in this draft are probably going to be really good. And you got some hidden gems towards the, uh, the you know, the, the, the teens and the late 20s and whatnot. But the you know, the Kate Cunninghams and the Jalen Greens and the Scotty Barnes of the world are, are going to be really good, too. Yeah, this feels like a much more balanced
1: draft than what we saw last season where it felt like it was top-heavy and you found a few little magic players in yeah. between. But this feels like the top 10 was pretty solid.
0: Very so, uh, very much so. I think this is probably one of the better drafts in years. Uh, and then when we look back, probably even five years from now, we'll be looking at a bunch of all-stars from this draft, if you ask me.
1: Yeah, it could be like a 2003 all over again. <laughs>
0: man if it was like that you know the Cavs gonna be in for a title run <laughs> i mean we hope that right i mean uh, <laughs> i don't know but with that being said man i'm gonna go, go ahead and close out today's episode as i always tell you guys if you'd like to reach out you can at it's cavalier underscore pod on twitter tiktok instagram youtube have a good one and thanks to cory again for hopping on today's episode